Hey there, podcast listeners. Exciting news. My new audiobook, The Short Book Formula, a financial professional's guide to writing a book in six weeks to attract ideal clients, is out now. And the best part, for a limited time, we're offering this audiobook to you for free. Hurry over to www.theshortbookformula.com and claim your copy now. And now, on to our show. Hey everyone, this is Paul McManus, the host of the Million Dollar Producer Show, and I am today here with my special guest, Josh Patrick. Josh has done many, many exciting things in his career. Um, one of the most recent things that I know that he's done is that he's written this very cool book called Sustainable, um, subtitle A Fable About Creating a Personally and Economically Sustainable Business. Welcome, Josh. Thanks, Paul. I'm really glad to be here today. Now, we got, so, so just, um, I believe that we met each other about four years ago as part of a mentoring program called Book Yourself Solid um, that was run by an individual, New York Times bestselling author, Michael Port. Um, is that accurate? That's accurate, except I think your time frame is closer to 12 years ago. 12 years or, ago. Or, or eight or nine years ago or something <laughs> like that. It was, a little, it was more than four years ago, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, so first question I have for you, just related to Book Yourself Solid, because that's where we met, is, you know, I got into the Book Yourself Solid. I believe that we're both certified coaches there. But I was looking for a system to, you know, basically a marketing system that was predictable and systematic. And now you are, um, you do a number of things. You're a wealth advisor. Um, you're a mentor. Um, you help business owners, many blue collar business owners free up cash in their business. Um, you're also a blogger for the New York Times, which I understand is very, very, very difficult to get that spot. Um, I was a blogger for the New York Times. They shut down that section, unfortunately. But yeah, it was really hard to get that slot. <laughs> so, 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 given your your diversity of experience, what originally attracted you to the Book Yourself Solid community? Well, I read the book, and uh, I'm kind of a seminar junkie. I've mm -hmm. been to over 150 programs in the 40 years I've been in business, and yeah, that's about right. I go to about three or four a year, mm -hmm. and have in, t in through my whole career. Uh, I consider the illustrated version of Book Yourself Solid the absolute best book on marketing I have ever run across. Uh, I actually make my clients go through that and do all the exercises wow. because it gives you such, a cl such clarity about who you should be serving, how you should be serving them, and how you should be approaching them. That's a powerful statement. I mean, I, I know that you've read a lot of books, but the best book on marketing that you've ever read. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, understand that marketing and sales are two completely different activities. And the challenge you're seeing today, especially in the online, online world, is people are trying to morph the two together and they're not the same, they're different. Marketing is to create awareness. Sales is to create a customer. Yeah. And what you're doing for each of those activities is very, very different. I, I love I love that you said that. And I also, that's a good segue for, you know, a lot of the clients that I work with are, you know, I would call them professional salespeople. You know, they're they're really good at it too. People very, at the top of the life insurance business are the best salespeople there are. 
and, and it, 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 it's good. And for me, it presents a little bit of a challenge sometimes because they want immediate leads that they can then go to work with a sales conversation for. Now, you know, that, ha- that can be, a- in my experience, that can be effective to a degree. But as you're saying, marketing is fundamentally about creating awareness. Um, and it doesn't always, creating that awareness is a process. There's a time investment. And it doesn't always lead, you know, directly to a sale. There can be a time gap, or it can lead to a sale in different ways. Now, one of the reasons that I'm excited to, you know, be having this conversation with you, um, is that you're a very smart marketer. Um, you, you the, the first three years of your career, I believe, you said that you were you were a life insurance agent. Um, now you're a wealth advisor. From the different things that you've done, whether it's podcasting or LinkedIn or speaking or writing a book. Um, what have you seen for your own business? What has proven to be most successful to date? Without a doubt, speaking. Um, I mean, spe- and there's a bunch of reasons around why speaking works. But, you know, in Michael's world, he would use the term no like and trust mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Is that people won't buy from you until they know, like, and trust you. In a one hour talk, I can get people to know, like, and trust me. There is nothing else I can do that works as quickly as that. It's that simple. I mean, it's just, you know, by the nature of what makes a good talk and what you put in there, you build rapport in the first 10 minutes of your talk by having, by doing what's called an origin story. An origin story basically is what is it about you that was really terrible that you never want to tell anybody, but you have to tell people because it's how you learn. Now, we don't learn by doing it right. We learn by doing it wrong. And because of my personality, which you know, I have done it wrong more than almost anybody I ever know. So I've got lots of learning and lots of stories that fit in with my origin story. And that says, hey, you're just like me. I can be like you now. So everything you say after that says, if this guy could do it, I can do it because I'm not nearly as messed up as he is. (laughs) So a couple questions I have as a result of that. Um, and I love that, um, is that if, they're, if, if you're looking to attract someone to then have you as their mentor and advisor, is there any, I understand the value of saying I'm not as messed up as he is, but is there anything that then is counterproductive there where it's like, oh my goodness, this guy's so messed up. I, don't, I can't work with him. I can't have him manage my money. Well, the first 10 minutes, you're going to talk about all the things you did wrong. The next 50 minutes, you're going to talk about how you fixed everything and did everything right. And... What are the lessons that you learned and how do you do things today that you wouldn't have done last year or for me 40 years ago? You know, I start my origin story. I mean, in the middle of my origin story, I talk about being the worst manager of all times. This is actually true. I would walk into the office and literally full throat scream at somebody every single day for three years, demeaning them, calling them idiots, saying it was all their fault when the truth was I needed to look in the mirror. And once I learned to do that and start taking responsibility, my life changed. And here's how it changed. Now, that's how I generally open up my talks. And it can go from I learned how to hire. I learned how to put a quality control program in. I learned how to sell appropriately. I learned how to work as a team. I learned how to trust my employees. I learned how to delegate. Those are all things that all flew out of that particular part of my life where my role model for management was my father. Hmm. My father didn't scream every day, but you never knew when he was going to scream, and then we did. It was the scariest thing that ever happened. 
And unfortunately, he used to scream at me a lot. So <laughs> um, some I deserved, most I didn't, but that's a different story. Um, but at any rate, that's sort of, you know, when you're speaking, you get to do that stuff. And when you're doing a podcast, you want to do that stuff too. You want to talk about the mistakes you've made and the lessons that you've learned from the mistakes. Because the truth is we all make mistakes. And if I go to you, if I really want to build real long-term value between a client and myself, I want to screw something up and then fix it. Because if I do that well, you have a customer. For, I got to tell you this story because it just happened to me. I'm a HubSpot user. HubSpot is a marketing platform for online stuff. I've been a HubSpot user forever. Well, they went to two-step authorization, which is mostly a pain in the neck. But in this particular case, it locked me out for 48 hours. And I wasn't going to get my newsletter out on Tuesday morning. Well, was a guy named Brian Halligan, who's the CEO of HubSpot. I sent Brian an email Sunday afternoon at 6 o'clock. By 6.30, he had responded to me with an iPhone message, sending me to his chief operating officer, who got back to me and fixed my problem on Monday morning. Now, do you think I might tell that story about nine zillion times? Absolutely. And you think HubSpot has got an incredibly loyal customer, someone who's going to give them a lot of slack now? You bet, because they took lemonades or lemons and they made lemonade out of it. They took my problem and fixed it. Now, I was always a loyal HubSpot, HubSpot user. I like the platform, but now I'm in love with it. <laughs> So, I mean, that's an example of, hey, they really screwed up. Yeah. And had they not fixed it, there was a good chance they would have lost me eventually because sure. it would have been, sure. these guys don't care about me. But they did the opposite. Sure. And that's true for all of us. Yeah. It, you know, in, in, you said something that just stuck me right now. Just, you know, it's how, it's how do you show someone that you care about them, right? I think, you know, I think for me, especially when it comes to marketing and trying to attract and convert um, what I describe as high value clients, I think there's a lot of components into that. You know, one, you have to be proactive. You have to reach out. You have to create that awareness, however you do that. Um, two, you have to establish that you are a credible expert. You're a likable, credible expert. You're someone that they um, should listen to. You know, you have to identify a problem that they have so that they want a solution for that problem. And then fourth, it's a matter of being able to establish that you have empathy and caring for them. Um, that aside from empathy and caring, um, you know, I'm going to throw this out there and I don't know if this will fit, but let me say it. You know, I think that, you know, you are one of these people that are expert in so many different things that I know for a lot of people that sometimes that can be a little bit difficult to hone in. How do you create yeah, that causes me that causes me more problems than it helps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just and part of it is that I'm 66 years old. I'm not especially interested in becoming master of the universe. So I'm more interested in what I find interesting mm -hmm. than what's profitable. Now, if I was 50 years old and I did had not gotten cancer at 55 years old, I would have been doing something completely different because I was on the road to becoming master of the universe mm -hmm. when I got cancer. That got derailed. Um, but the truth is, if you're going to be really successful in business, I don't care if your skill set is in 92 different places, pick one yeah, and stay with that one 
and only talk about that and don't talk about all the other stuff, even though you're interested in it, you're just confusing people. So you don't for, know what box to put you in. For you, how have you done that? How, how I have, have not you, done that. I've not done that well. Well, perhaps, but you know, I can also see that you have done it well to a degree. You know, one is that when you created this book, you built it around the topic of sustainability, which we both know have a lot of subcategories in there, what that includes. Right. Well, it's actually about creating excess cash in the business is what it's really about. And it's about a blue collar business, which is where my specialty lies. Yeah. I know more about blue collar business than anything else. And I can help any blue collar business. And the blue collar business, by the way, is where your frontline employees wear blue collars. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's really, you know, Auto dealerships are blue collar businesses. Construction companies are blue collar businesses. Vending companies are blue collar businesses. Manufacturing companies are blue collar businesses. And essentially, you have the issue that's the same among all is the blue collar employee hmm. who is very skeptical of everything that comes out of your mouth. Because they always, and this goes back to um, um, a concept a guy named Dave Logan came up, which is that blue collar workers generally go to work with a belief system that the world sucks and I suck. And if I go and start doing mindset work with them, it is not going to work. They need to take action. And then I can start working on mindset. So it really is a kind of a different strategy that you pursue with different businesses, depending on where the people are in the business along the way. So I can help a blue collar business work on the, you know, the four things they need to do is recurring revenue. They need to have good values and, and use values in a proactive manner. They've got to learn how to delegate. They've got to systematize their business and they've got to fill the four buckets of profit. If they do those things well, they're going to have a very, very successful business. I know how to do that in my sleep with a blue collar business. With another business, I have to think about it for 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I do work sometimes outside the blue collar world because I can be very effective. I mean, I worked with a wealth management firm down in Boston. When I started working with them, they made $140,000 in profit. When I stopped working with them, they made two more $2.4 million in profit. And so, you know, business is a business is a business. And 80% of all businesses are the same, but most business owners don't believe it. They say, my business is different. My industry is different. And that's really not true, but that's the belief system, so you can't argue with it. That it's, it's not really true, and at the same time, to stand out in a noisy, crowded marketplace, from your point of view, how important is that focus in terms of the market? Blue, and for you, it's blue-collar, and it it's is to help them create more cash flow. It's incredibly important. If you want to really build a big business, and a big business, by the way, Apple is a niche business. Hmm. If you look at who Apple's customers are, they're all pretty similar. They have a similar belief system about how the world should work. They don't want an open source computer system where you can, you know, tinker with everything. They want just to, you plug it in, it works, and I don't have to think about it. That's Apple's customer. And they build a whole ecosystem that allows you to do that easily. So the truth is, the nichier you can become, the narrower you can become, the more successful your business will be. You know, now, yeah, the more successful you, your business can be with less effort. Way less. And there's two reasons for that. One is it's easy for people to know who you are. Mm -hmm. And the second is you're not doing one-offs, meaning you're not reinventing the wheel with every new client. If I work with manufacturing companies, I will tell you that 
95% of what I do with manufacturing companies is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of difference between personalities, but not a whole lot. Because even the personalities are relatively similar. Definitely. So going back to marketing strategies and tactics um, that you've been using, um, so far we've talked a little bit about um, public platform speaking as the most effective way to land new clients. And my own experience has informed me that that's true. Yes. Um, that that there's nothing easier than being in front of an audience. Um, and so I totally agree with that. Well, you also get something else from the audience. When you're speaking for somebody else, you have their implied endorsement of being good at what you do. Yes. And that's something that too many people ignore. I think that's an excellent point. Um, because the implied endorsement, I mean, you know, this past year was, you know, my best year ever. And part of it was I was I was invited twice to speak for one of the top level producer uh, life insurance producer organizations in the country, and you know to your point, not only you know I'm not a, I'm not the best speaker and I don't pretend to be, but I had the implied endorsement of the organization putting me up in front of there, and I took it a step further. Instead of me speaking and talking about my stuff or how great I am, et cetera, I brought in two of their members who are clients of me. It was like kind of a panel discussion. And so they, you know, essentially made the case for me. Um, I just kind of facilitated and coordinated how it all came across. Um, and I had a line of people outside the door. I mean, it, it, was, it was one of the most memorable, memorable experiences for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great way to do it. I mean, there, you, there is not a better way to get customers. For me now, you know, from everything that I've seen, I've been studying, you know, very intensively online marketing for the, really the past four to five years. You know, my whole business is online marketing now, primarily LinkedIn, although I do, you know, dabble in other things. One of the things that I'm now putting a much more increased focus on for myself as well as my clients is podcasting. Um, podcasting to me is one of the most effective ways to build relationships with people that you want to build relationships with, sometimes that they might be difficult to... Um, start a conversation with because they have to see the value in it. And then third, you're creating incredibly powerful content um, that is very high converting for your listeners and other audience. Can you share what your experience to date with podcasting has been? Yeah, podcasting is allows you to get people to have conversations with you who would never have a conversation otherwise. Um, it's sort of like when I used to write for the Times, I would send an email, someone say, hi, I'm a blogger for New York Times, I'd like to talk to you about XYZ. 100% of the time people would say, when can we talk? And you're writing for the New York Times, that's going to get them national publicity yep. in front of millions and millions and millions of people, they're talking to me. The interesting about podcasting is my yeses aren't a lot less by podcasting, even though only a couple of hundred people listen to each episode that we do. So for whatever reason, and I'm not quite sure what it is, when people ask to be or ask me on your podcast, they see it as being something that's a real compliment to them. And you're going to have a chance to have a conversation with them. And, you know, the way you did it, you did a pre a pre interview with me. Mm -hmm. And if I was someone you were trying to sell, you might focus that pre-interview a little bit on, gee, here's something that, what's your biggest challenge you're facing? Sure. And if it fits, you might give an answer to that and saying, hey, this is something we might want to talk about afterwards. Yeah. That's one thing. The second thing is, is it gives you legitimacy. 
Just because you have a podcast, it automatically gives you legitimacy. And the third thing, which is the real power of podcasting, it becomes easy to get on other podcasters' shows. And you get exposed to their audience, which is not your audience, and you get to build your audience as a result of that. Totally agree with everything that you said. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, for someone listening to this and maybe hasn't started a podcast for themselves or maybe hasn't been a guest on someone else's podcast, would you recommend that they start by hosting their own podcast, focus more on being a guest or a combination? Well, that's a good question. Um, if I'm a if I want to use my podcast only to create new customers, I would focus on being other people's kind of podcasts, but I would also focus on having an offer that would get people to take action. And a simple offer that'd be easy for people to get to take action because without that, they're not calling you. Sure. And by the way, when you're a guest in someone's podcast, and they say, gee, how can you contact them? Give me your phone number. It's not a secret. Let them call you. <laughs> I, um, if I'm building a podcast to create legitimacy, you know, the no like and trust sort of thing, then I want to do my own podcast because I want to have a home base that people yeah. can visit with me every week or every two weeks. Yeah. Now, if you're going to do a podcast, you have to be regular about it. You can't do it, you know, Monday this week and then three weeks on Thursday. Mm -hmm. You know, like our podcast goes out every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, hmm. or Eastern Daylight Time, depending on 6 a.m. Eastern Time, every Monday. I've been doing it for close to five years now. And um, we're in the process of changing the name of our podcast. It used to be called the Sustainable Business Radio Show, and people were getting confused whether they're talking about economic sustainability or mm -hmm. environmental sustainability. Most mm -hmm. people thought environmental and sustainability. Now, I have a program called Cracking the Cash Flow Code, which I just which we started about six months ago. So we're changing the name of the podcast to Cracking the Cash Flow Code because that's what blue collar business owners really want to do. In fact, I would submit that's what all business owners want to do. They want to crack the code on how to create enough excess cash to fill the or four areas of profit in their business. So that's why I'm changing the name. Very cool. And, and you know, it, it's, um, I, lo I love that. And, you know, Sustainable is great, but you know you tested it. I guess in the marketplace, you've got the feedback, and now you're being a little bit more specific to what your audience um, resonates with more immediately. Um, <clears throat> so, a couple things. One is that I'd love to know who are some of the most impressive podcast guests you have. I know that I've been on the show twice, and so you know, feel free not to mention me. Um, <laughs> and then also, I'd love to ask. You know, you taught me back in the book yourself solid mentoring program days. There was something you had done a seminar there for the group, and there was something that really stuck with me that you said, and it's been one of my guiding principles since then, which is fail, 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 fail forward, fast, fail fast, fail, fail, fa fail fast, fail cheap, fail, fail fast, fail cheap. It's a couple different iterations, but you know, I've totally embraced that. Whereas, you know, oftentimes I like to jump into something knowing that I can learn more in the process process of whether it's good, bad. It's good, do more of it. It's bad, do less of it. And so completely takes out the, the analysis by paralysis thing for me. So two questions. Who have been some of your most impressive guests to date? And, you know, if there's any advice that someone, um, advisor has that wants to do a podcast, is there any tidbits that you would share with them? Um, sure. Uh, first of all, I'll do the second one first. Okay. Um, go for a 70% solution. 
If you wait till you're 99.9% ready to do your podcast, you're never going to launch. Get it to 70%, make some mistakes, learn from your mistakes, make it messy. No one's going to really care because your first few podcast episodes, nobody's listening to except your wife and your mother anyhow. So um, don't worry about getting it right. Just get it started. And you're going to learn from that because there's, you're going to find that people will approach you to be on your podcast. You're going to figure out that, gee, I don't know how to get a good guest. So you're going to get a good intake form. Mm -hmm. You're going to say, I'm spending too much time on this stuff. Mm -hmm. How do I systematize it? You need to have systems. I mean, my entire weekly or um, per episode investment in the podcast is 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. Two minutes to say hi to the guest, 23 minutes to record it. And then it goes off to the people who actually make it into something that's consumable. So it's really, it's a very, very, my process is very fast, very simple. I can record two or three episodes in a day and still get a lot of other stuff accomplished. Mm. Um, be regular about your podcast. That's a really important thing. It's the 70% solution is just, I, I, that's true, by the way, for anything that you do. I tell people, forget trying to get it 95%, 99% right. You'll never launch. 70%, 65%. You know, in the software world, they call it a minimally viable product. Yep. What is the minimally viable product you can put out that shows it's got some value, but isn't especially good yet? Yep. You know, like, you know, for example, I've been doing videos now, a weekly video for two years. Mm. And... If you go back and look at my early videos, they are downright embarrassing. But if you look at my videos today, you know, they're pretty good. And it's because I basically said, I'm going to start and let's see how where it goes. Now, I'm a guy who's a ready, fire, aim sort of person. Sure. Is that, you know, I don't really care about getting it right 100%. I think, you know, 99% right is fine. I'm actually okay when I write to have spelling errors. Most people don't catch them, just the grammar Nazis do. And grammar Nazis are not going to be my clients anyhow, so I don't really care. Um, best guess. Um, the best guess, I'll give you a general, the best guess in general are people who have their own podcast that I've had. Now, a couple people stand out. Rob Slee does not have his own podcast, but Rob is a friend of mine. Uh, some people listening to this might know who Rob is. He wrote a written several books, probably one of the smartest people I know. Extraordinarily entertaining. I can just wind Rob up, ask him one question, off he goes for 25 minutes. Um, although we actually do have conversations now. Uh, Mike McCallowitz, who's the author of Profit First, has been on my show a couple of times. He's been really, he, he's a great guest. He's so much fun, first of all. Uh, and you want someone who likes to have fun and doesn't take themselves too seriously. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, Somebody who's willing to tell funny stories or embarrassing stories about themselves are good. Uh, I had Michael Porter, I think, on our show at least once. He was good. I recently had Steve Farber on. Steve just wrote a new book. He's been great. Uh, you know Walt Hampton. I've had mm -hmm. Walt on a couple of times. Walt has been great. Um, actually, if you go and you Google episode 200, <laughs> on my podcast, which is at sustainablebusiness.co, uh, my sound editor and I did our favorite podcast of the first 200 episodes. Okay. So that will give you, if you really want to hear who I, my favorites are, those sure. are my favorite episodes of the first 200 that we did. Very cool. 
Um, I'm noticing the time, so I have just a couple more questions for you. Um, you know, for someone considering a podcast, um, and I think you may have already answered this to a degree, but anything else that comes to mind is for those, you know, quote unquote, high status people that might be the most challenging or difficult to get to say yes. Um, can you share any advice or experience about that? Well, if you can get them to go listen to you, again, you're going to build, you know, know, like, and trust. You want to have strategies that you're going to talk about that are attractive for them. Now, I'm going to give a life insurance strategy real fast. There's a strategy which I love is called in the family business transfer called a sale to a defector granter trust. If I was in the life insurance business, I would probably do a show once a month on the sales of a defector granted trust and how it was used in the family business to transfer because it's high quality information that's going to get people to do that, to go to where they're going to go. I might be doing a program on life insurance as a bond replacement. That's another one. I might do programs if I'm looking at people who are uh, family offices. I might do stuff on private placement life insurance because that's going to get to there. There aren't many people talking about this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I say the word sale to an effective granted trust, I can immediately tell you that the business owner's eyes have just glazed over. Mm-hmm. So if you can make it simple and understandable, there's a good chance you're going to get a phone call from someone say, hey, I just heard you talk about this trust thingy. The, the, and you get a chance to talk about that. So it's really show your expertise. And you can show your expertise through an interview, by the way. So if you want to bring on one of these life insurance company, advanced marketing guys mm-hmm. who actually have a personality. Mm-hmm. I was a guy working for Lincoln and lives in Vermont. And I can't think of his name right now, but he would be a good guest for that because he's really knowledgeable. He speaks in English. He doesn't speak in jargon. So find an advanced market person that can talk about advanced uses of life insurance that are going to be useful for the target market you're after. Now, mine are business owners, so I know all the uses of life insurance for business. So, so a tactical question for you. So, so great advice. And if someone wanted to do it around a theme like that, how do you do the podcast that's sustainable? In other words, you know, if you're always talking about the same thing over and over, you might exhaust it after a few episodes. Um, well, it depends on if you do it as a case study. Okay. You know, like you know, I was just talking with. Uh, I advise a company called Sudden Money, which is owned by Susan Bradley. And there's four, and it's about having transitions, life transitions. And the four basic transitions that she teaches is widowhood, you know, becoming a widower, widower, divorce, sale of a business, and retirement. So I said to her, I said, I said to her marketing person today, I said, you know, um, Vidya, here's what you need to do. You have a hundred members in your organization all of us have case studies around how we've done transfers. Every podcast effort should be a case study with one of your members. You're never going to run out of stuff. So you just think a little bit out of the box of what mm-hmm. normal things are. You could talk, you know, if you wanted to, um, a lot of people do podcasts as a group. And you could have four or five people bringing their own cases into it because the cases are different. The situation is different. Even though you're talking about the same strategy, you're talking about different ways of actually getting to an end result. Sure. Fantastic. Fantastic advice. Um, I'm just noticing time. So final question, um, and we're going to put your contact information as well as your podcast uh, website, et cetera, in the show notes. Is there any um, final um, piece of wisdom, insights you want to share or any final advice for um, our, our listeners? And one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, out of everything that you've done that's successful or not successful, 
Um, any final piece of advice about being able to attract and convert high value clients? Um, yeah, have a system to see if you're a good match. And I'll take once I'll take 30 seconds to explain ours. It's a lot more complicated, but we call it the alignment conversation. And it starts off with, if we were to get together five years from now, what would have to happen for you to feel like you've been successful? Dan Sullivan question. Where are you today? What's the gap between those two? And if we could fill that gap, what would the value be? Now that conversation goes for about two hours that for those four questions. And at the end of the day, you know, when we get done, I say, gee, this is something I might want to work with. I have a really hard close I learned from Michael, Are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. And then ask, would you like some help with this issue? And if they say yes, I say, would you like me to help you? That's all there is to it. But I have a system. And if you're going to engage any client, whether it's a high value or low value client, you need a system. Yeah. Now that's a one on one sort of thing. And I'm working on one to many right now, which is really yeah. a different thing. But for one to one, when I do a one to one sale, and you know, our consulting is $60,000 or more a year. So it's not cheap. But essentially, is that's how we sell it. Very cool. Josh, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Million Dollar Producer Show. We appreciate your time and for sharing your insights and wisdom with us. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me.